And as we continue to worship, I ask that you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 18 to 32. We are going to, again, come to our time in Ephesians, but before we do so, this reading from Romans is a passage that closely parallels and in some ways expands on what we're going to look at this morning. So keep it in your mind as we as we go throughout the word this morning, but hear Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is God's word. Would you join with me in prayer? Oh Lord, as we come before you this morning, we pray that it would not be so among us that we would not exchange the created for the Creator, that we would not pursue the whims of our own hearts, our own foolish and wicked desires, but that we would wholeheartedly pursue You in all ways, that we would acknowledge You, that You would not give us up to our own sin, but that we might follow You all the days of our lives. Lord, may we not be known as those who would give approval to the practice of evil. May we have the courage to stand up and call sin, sin. May we acknowledge evil for what it is. And may we turn from all wickedness and unrighteousness towards you, towards your light and the good that you have shown us, the commands that you've given us in your word. That we might be found as holy before you. And Lord, we confess that we have not done so perfectly. Lord, we know that we will not be perfect in this life. 
But Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you might sanctify us, that day by day we might not be totally holy, but that we might be made more holy before you day by day. And Lord, we look forward to the return of your Son, Jesus, where your people will be made truly holy. Lord, we look forward to the day when our sin no longer ensnares or entangles us, that we no longer will have to do battle with the difficulties and the struggle of sin, but that we might worship you and act towards you as we desire to, in all righteousness and in all honor and glory to you. Lord, I pray for our congregation that we might look inwardly to our own selves and even to our own congregation and see where there is sin that needs to be dealt with and that we would deal with it, that we would confess it before you, that you by your Holy Spirit might work in us a new thing. Lord, I pray for many in our congregation who are struggling with health difficulties, whether it be myself and my family or the many others who are struggling with their health in this week. We ask that you would bring them back to full health and care for them and keep them. We think also of those among us who are waiting for surgeries or diagnoses. Lord, we know we are so blessed to have access to the health care that we do. But it is also a struggle waiting and seeing that our own bodies are struggling. And we just ask that you would sustain those among us who are waiting for these procedures and diagnoses. Give wisdom to the doctors and medical staff. Lord, we need only look outside to see our desperate need of you and to also glorify you for the safety and protection that you've given us. We thank you that we are not among the many communities threatened with the danger of fire at this time. But Lord, we know that there are so many of us, many of our Christian brothers and sisters displaced from their homes in Alberta and Saskatchewan and around the world by this threat of fire and the smoke that has descended upon us as a reminder of that. May we be reminded to pray for those who have been displaced. May your church be used even in this time to bring you glory as caretakers of those who are displaced and those who are battling these fires. We pray for safety for the firefighters and the various crews that are working on these things. We thank you that you have given such men and women to serve in the fire service, to serve in the Canadian Armed Forces, that they might care for those who are unable to care for themselves. And may we care for and support those who are doing so. And Lord, as it weighs on many of our minds, the upcoming elections in Alberta, we just pray that you would preside over all of these things. For we know that you install governments, you ordain the rise and fall of those who are in power, and you do so for your own glory. And we pray that you would give us hearts that are able to trust you in the midst of these things, even when things may not look like they are the way that we would see them to be. We pray for those who are currently in power and those who you are preparing to be in power, Lord, that they might know you, they might see you and bow the knee before you and only you, and that they might make choices that are righteous, and that they might follow you, and that their policies would reflect that. 
And Lord, we commit each part of this election to you knowing that it is your will that will be done. God, we do thank you for the many reasons you give us to celebrate. We are approaching the season where our students will graduate, and we thank you for that, and students that are coming to the end of their school years. We know that exams and such things weigh heavily on their minds, and we just pray that you would be with them as they prepare. Give them hearts and minds that would diligently prepare, that they would not leave things to the last moment, but that they would glorify you in all things, including in their studies. And that as they do so, that you might use the work that they have done so diligently for your glory, that they might do well in their exams and their final projects, Lord. Particularly for those who are graduating, Lord, give wisdom as you guide and direct them in their futures. Lord, there is a wide world with many options ahead of them, and we pray that they would choose not only what would bring them joy, not only what seems right to them, but that they would lay these plans before you and ask that you would be glorified and your will would be done in their lives and their hearts. Be with them, O Lord. We also commit our plans to you, the plans to bring our beloved Filipino brothers out and their wives, and we just ask that you would preside over all of that. Give them safety as they prepare, wisdom as they prepare, and as their travel dates get closer. We just pray that in the chaos that sometimes seems to ensue in travel that uh, you would be with them. We know that many of our Filipino brothers and sisters from here in Canada are planning on trips back to the Philippines to see family and be with family. We ask too that you would keep them safe as they travel and in your will that you would bring them back safely to be among us, that you would, wherever you take them, wherever you take any of us, that you would equip us to glorify you in whatever situation we might be. So Lord, we commit all of these things to you, and we commit this preaching of your word to you, asking that you, by your spirit, would work in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Coming to Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to get your finger in there, we'll be starting at verse 17. We are united in Christ. God has and will strengthen His people to walk in faith. God will build up His body, and that body, it will grow as it builds itself up in love. Leading up to this passage, Paul has been encouraging people left and right and center over these last couple chapters. He wants to build them up and see them built up. But now comes the time to bring their feet back to the ground that they are not immune to the sins of this world and the old life from which they came. As we put up on the wall here, Paul has charged them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they have been called. And he's given many positive things to that effect. What does it look like to walk in such a manner? Do all of these things. And that is a good strategy. In instances of counseling, I've had the opportunity to suggest that if I tell you don't think about pink elephants, you're obviously going to think about pink elephants. But if you really don't want to think about pink elephants, then the solution is not to sit there and perseverate going, okay, don't think about it, don't think about it, don't think about it, because in 
all of that, you are obviously thinking about it. Don't perseverate on what not to think. Instead, put those thoughts out of your mind. Actively put them out of your mind and then identify the alternative, the positive things on which you should be thinking. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Think about such things. Practice such things as you can find in the Word. That is a great key to combating situations where your attentions and your affections are drawn to things that are opposed of God. Sitting there thinking, don't think about it, gives it too much attention. If your life is consumed with your own sin and you're thinking, don't think about that sin, where is the time to think of God and what He has commanded? But there's another side to this. If we just think about the things of God and think only of the things of God to the point where we ignore what Hebrews calls the sin which clings so closely or so easily entangles us or ensnares us, then we do operate in a situation of great danger. In chapter 2 of this letter, Paul had told his people, and we cannot forget this, that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The vestiges of who we once were still endure in us as long as we are on earth. And that's why when we sing things like a mighty fortress is our God, we sing choruses and pieces that say things like a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, a helper sure amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Or did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. We still need a fortress. We still need the man of God's own choosing, Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have an active enemy trying to lead us astray from without and an old man working from within to be revived. You'll hear this come up, or this name come up several times in our message today, but I've been immersed in an incredibly insightful work on the nature of sin called Of the Mortification of Sin in Believers by John Owen. One of the things he said, part of understanding the battle against sin is seeing that the enemy, so to speak, is not only external, but internal, which is why Christians often have conflicting desires within them. Most Christians seem unaware of or apathetic about the sin that remains in them, but whether they recognize it or not, and I want us to remember this, whether they recognize it or not, there is a living coal continually in their houses, which, if not properly attended to, will catch their home on fire. So this morning I ask you, is your house in danger of catching fire? 
Have you forgotten a coal somewhere? Or, more likely, if you are a believer, have you hidden a coal somewhere, putting it out of sight and out of mind, forgetting about it, thinking that it is no longer a danger to you? Absolutely, we should live in light of the incredible and accomplished work of Christ, the freedom that comes from that. But we do not forget to attend to the dangers that come with our old self. And to that end, we turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and we read starting in verse 17. We'll conclude at verse 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as is the truth in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through seedful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If you've been following along in this series, you should see right away this change in tone from Paul. Now this I say and testify in the Lord signpost here. Paul doesn't want his people to miss this. This serious tone, and he grounds the genesis for this exhortation he's about to make as being testified in the Lord. Pay attention. This would have snapped his audience too, and it should garner our attention as well. So what does Paul say What does he testify to this audience of Gentile believers? That they must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. These Gentiles must no longer walk as Gentiles. This body to which they have been called is a totally and utterly new one, totally removed from the one to which they were born. Many of you will be familiar with that old adage, a leopard cannot change his spots. The idea is that people cannot change their essential nature or character, particularly their negative traits. That a person's inherent qualities like the spots on a leopard remain fixed and unchangeable. You may not realize that this saying comes straight out of the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 13. Here God is showing how unlikely it is that Judah would change after centuries of wickedness. Can a leopard change his spots? No. The other question that is in Jeremiah 13, can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can we change the color of our skin? Can a leopard change his spots? No, obviously we cannot. To Judah, he is saying... So you will be judged for your wickedness that you will not turn from. But if a leopard really cannot change his spots, 
then how can these Gentiles no longer act, no longer walk as Gentiles? They can no more become Jewish than we can change our own race. We should be aware that this command that Paul has given, that these Gentiles no longer act or walk as Gentiles, is totally impossible on our own. Utterly impossible from a human perspective. We have no ability to attain to righteousness on our own. That's why it's so important that we keep coming back to the very first verse of Ephesians. The audience of this letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul is not writing to the unconverted here. He is writing to those he would consider saints, believers. And here, the term Gentile, when he says, do not walk as the Gentiles do, that's a euphemism for all who do not follow the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For a Gentile to follow this command would be like a leopard changing his spots. But this is written to Gentiles in origin who have become something totally new in Christ Jesus. Members of the body of the Lord, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And as such, this is no longer a ridiculous request. For a Gentile to walk not as a Gentile is crazy unless that Gentile is no longer a Gentile, but a child of God. Again, back to John Owen. He's known for one thing in particular, this theology of the mortification of sin. He takes that out of Romans chapter 8, verse 13, that says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, or mortify, the deeds of the body, you will live. For sin to be mortified, Owen says, it must have its power, life, vigor, and strength to produce effects taken away by the Spirit. And then giving instruction on the mortification of sin, his first instruction is this. Unless a man be a believer that is truly engrafted into Christ, he can never mortify any one sin. I do not say unless he know himself to be so, but unless he be so. And later in that same instruction, a man may easier see without eyes or speak without a tongue than truly mortify one sin without the Spirit. Without the Spirit of God, there is no escape from sin. Whatever sin that we deal with, without the Spirit of God, there is no way out. These Gentiles to whom this letter is addressed are saints and fellow members of the body. Paul addresses them as Christian brothers, and as such, he can rightly exhort them to change their spots, as it were. For they are leopards no longer, Gentiles no longer. They are now members of God's household. And as such, they have received the gift of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of their inheritance with the Lord. So in order to rightly do battle, to rightly avoid and put to death the vestiges of this old life, Paul reminds these brothers of the condition from whence they came. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God 
because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They are to no longer walk this way. The implication there being that they have walked this way. This wicked life that Paul is describing is their own history. This life, if we are in Christ, if we know him, then it is our history. And if we are not in Christ, then no matter how we dress it up or suppress the truth, this is our present state, walking in the futility of our minds, darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God. And the futility of the mind is highlighted here. Everything kind of falls into place under this. Paul says these Gentiles are walking in the futility of their minds. But think of the culture to which this is being addressed. We live today in a world that has been forever shaped by the contributions of the Greco-Roman world and culture. Art, philosophy, science, engineering, law, politics... All of these things have been absolutely shaped by the culture to which Paul is speaking here. How then can Paul say that they are walking in the futility of their minds? Obviously, their minds were working well as a culture. It was one of the greatest civilizations that this world has ever seen. The answer is in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. They are not unintelligent. We look at the world around us and we see that our world is not unintelligent. We have seen advances that we could not imagine. Artificial intelligence powered arms being attached to people who have lost arms. We have seen medical advances and political and scientific advances that we can't even fathom. We are working right now to send a, another ship full of humans around the moon. People are sent to space on a regular basis. And yet, our world's Eyes and hearts and minds are darkened. They are not unintelligent. But the futility of their minds was that for all of their intelligence, for all of our intelligence, for all the many advances and contributions to the world, they were totally in the dark when it comes to the thing that matters most. If I can put a man on the moon if I can see the tiniest electron in the world, it doesn't matter if I cannot see the God who has revealed himself all around us. I would way rather be an absolute simpleton who knows nothing but Jesus than the smartest man in the world who does not know him. When Paul addressed the great thinkers of the day, at the Areopagus in Athens. In Acts 17, he said, Men of Athens, these were the great philosophers and thinkers of the day. They would gather together at the Areopagus to just talk about and think about the lofty things of the world. So he's not talking to dumb people here. Men of Athens, 
I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. He was telling these incredibly smart, incredibly learned, incredibly religious people that the very thing they could not see, this small roadside shrine to the unknown God, was the very God that made the world and everything in it. That same God is the one in him in whom we live and move and have our being. And yet, this they could not see. For they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. This darkening, this hardness had led them to being utterly unable to see God himself who had been revealed in their midst. So much so that even their own politicians would be involved, even their own soldiers would be involved in putting to death God-made flesh among them. If there is any sign that they are dark in their their understanding, they killed God-made flesh, the God who walked among them. And all of that results in the laundry list of sin. We read Romans 1, and it puts into words some of the laundry list of sin that we could see and go through. But for this passage, Paul sums it up real succinctly. Calloused hearts, given up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Not just subjected to sensuality, not enslaved to impurity, but given up to them and greedy to practice them. Our world is not just going along with sin. Our world is not just subjected and under the enslavement of sin. Although it is that, it is also greedy for sin. It is absolutely given up to sin for it cannot be any other. And such a lifestyle is to be totally foreign to the saints. Nowhere in Scripture do we find a warrant for the kind of Christianity that has invaded so many churches around the world that allows for a profession of faith with no discernible fruits of faith. There's nowhere in Scripture that we can see that someone would come to faith and continue to practice sin unashamedly. What the Bible has called sin, we are to be battling against. We know that Christians will still sin. 
we need not be ashamed that we still sin. Paul cries out in Romans 7, and if anyone is a greater Christian than Paul, then you are a better man or woman than I. But Paul says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That is a man who still struggles with sin, daily struggles with sin. But that is also a man that desires to be freed from it. Our world does not desire to be free from sin. Because to be freed from sin means to be subject to a new law. Our world wants no laws whatsoever. Sin will plague us until the Lord calls us home. There is no perfection here on this earth. And that is one of the incredible things that is promised to us in glory. We pray for the day that Jesus would come and purge from our own hearts and from this world all unrighteousness. But for us to claim faith in Christ while still actively pursuing and unabashedly pursuing sinful lifestyles is totally unknown to the commands of Scripture. And some of those things are easier to identify than others. We see the LGBTQ agenda and saying, you can continue being the way that you've always been, but still be a Christian because God loves everyone. God loves his people. And if that is a sin that you struggle with, that is allowed. We all have our own sins, our own besetting sins that we struggle with, but we need to be struggling against them, not giving ourselves over to them and saying, I am what I am. That's easy stuff to see. That's everywhere in our world. And godly Christian churches everywhere have stood up against that. But then we allow other lifestyles of sin to flourish under different names. Whether it is gossip or greed or pride or envy or whatever it might be, we dress them up. Okay, well, I am not greedy and prideful. I am just a astute businessman who works hard to make sure that I take care of my family. But is that all that it is in your heart and in your life? I'm not gluttonous. I just like food. Okay, we all like food, but there is a level at which that becomes sin, and we can't excuse it as anything else. We cannot be pursuing daily a sinful lifestyle and still claim to be pursuing God. We are to be known to flee from sin and all unrighteousness, putting it to death and pursuing instead the things of God. We may stumble, we may fall, but we get back up and continue to do battle against our old self and the sin that attends it. So Paul gives an alternative to this walk of futility found in the Gentiles. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. That right there is saying, 
I'm assuming you're a believer here. I'm assuming that we can kind of cross that off our list and I don't have to backtrack again. Assuming that you're a believer. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Again, the assumption here is that the hearer is truly a believer. That these had been given a new self, otherwise there is no way to put off the old self. Please bear from me one more quote from Owen, who has been my constant companion in writing this message. His words, I say then, mortification, which is putting to death of sin, Mortification is not the present business of unregenerate men. God calls them not to it as yet. Conversion is their work, the conversion of the whole soul, not the mortification of this or that particular lust. If you or anyone has not yet committed themselves, heart, soul, mind, and strength to Christ, then they cannot expect to do anything but that which comes naturally to sinful man. They cannot put any one sin to death, for to live in a body and a life that is still consumed with sin and under the power of sin, there's, there's no chance for them to put any one sin to death. But if you do know and have committed yourself to Jesus Christ, then the one who became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God, Through him, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. For to do so denies by your actions the truth that you proclaim with your mouth. If your life is screaming that you follow every pattern of this world, but in your mouth you say, no, I'm a Christian. What is our world supposed to do with that? A Christian that is completely and utterly worldly. To follow Christ, to walk as a believer, is to put off your old self. The image there is getting home from a long day of hard work, maybe under a car or out on a farm, you're covered in grease or oil or manure or whatever it might be, and you strip off that old clothes and you chuck it to the side. These filthy, stinking clothes and putting on clean ones. To put off your old self, your sinful ways, thoughts, desires, habits, is to confess them from God, repenting and turning away from them. And we will still struggle with our old selves. Like we read earlier, to ignore our old selves is to forget about a burning coal somewhere in our home. My in-laws have a wood stove. I think many of you have the same. If I forget out a burning coal in my house, that is a dangerous thing because I don't have a wood stove. I don't have anywhere in my house where I can say, okay, a burning coal is well attended to here. But they have a burning coal in their home and they attend to it. They watch it. They make sure that it is kept and safe. We need to daily acknowledge our own sin, our own weakness. 
that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone, daily say, I am a sinner. That old man, that burning coal in my life is still there. But we don't just stop at acknowledging that there is still sin. We acknowledge it. We say it's there. And I'm going to do battle against it every day until Jesus takes it away when he takes me to glory. We turn from our sin. But if we do it by ourselves, we just turn from one sin to the next. I might turn from one sin and find, okay, well, I turned away from that sin, so I'm doing pretty good. Well, now there's the sin of pride. And then, oh, man, now I'm prideful. I suck. Okay, well, now we're into shame, and we turn from sin to sin to sin if we do it by ourselves. There is no turning from sin yourself. We turn towards the things of God being renewed in the spirit of our minds, putting on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We turn from sin in the power that the Holy Spirit provides. And we can do so only in His strength and power. You are not man enough. You are not woman enough to conquer your own sin. That sin will beat you into the ground if you try to do it by yourself. But... God has given us someone far greater than us who has conquered our sin in our place and has given us the Holy Spirit that we might live according to his commands. Even like Paul said to those thinkers in the Areopagus, in him we live and move and have our being. We are not alone in our battle with sin. We have a God who is closer than breathing. We call upon the name of the Lord, for we know that he saves those who do. He has promised that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Do you want to walk as one who has been renewed in the spirit of your mind rather than in the futility of a mind that has darkened in its understanding? Then do so by the power that the Holy Spirit alone can provide, not by your own strength. For as the Spirit works in you, we put on this new self which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you remember way back in Genesis where we are told that we, mankind, are created in the image of God? And do you remember how even though we were created in the image of God, our own sin has marred our ability to show that image of God. Our role as image bearers who show off who God is has been marred and stained by the work of sin. Well, in this new life that we put on, which is given us in Christ, that image of God is restored. It's not perfectly restored. We are not perfect, not yet. But to live in such a way, to live in light of the work of Christ in taking away our sin on the cross, 
is to be like Christ. So this morning, I beg of you, I pray for you, I pray for myself, that each of us would daily put off our old life, strip off the soiled clothes at the end of every day and go, I did not live life perfectly today. Acknowledge the sin. I can't put off my old life if I pretend there is no old life day by day. Take off that old life, strip it off, and put on the new life. This is not a one-time thing. This is not as at salvation, you take off the old life, put on the new life, and live from there on out. Day by day, we strip it off. Day by day, we put to death the sin and say, I'm done with that. I'm turning from that. I'm going to pursue this. And we live as ones who have been given a power far greater than our own. And when we stumble, and when we fall, and when we fail, we come back to Christ and we confess our own weakness, our own unrighteousness. Say, God, heal me. God, give me that new life. And we will do battle day by day by day until the blessed day where God calls us home and we struggle with sin no more where we will no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Instead, we would live as one who has been made alive together with Christ. So then the coming ages, coming ages, this is what we're looking forward to, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We get just a taste of that now. But one day, we will know his immeasurable riches of grace. And what a glorious day that will be. We put off our old selves. We are renewed in the spirit of our minds. And we are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Oh God and Father, if we come to this passage, if we come to this word and we are not convicted, if we are not keenly aware of our own sin, I don't know what we are doing. Lord, we are unrighteous. That old man, that old self is daily at work in us to draw us away and to pull us to the things that we used to walk in. That old life that we used to pursue But Lord, we ask that you would daily renew our hearts, that we would put on this new life, that we would know you day by day, and that we would not lose hope, that we would not grow weary of this daily struggle, but that we would do battle day by day, and that you would give us victory, that you would Help us to see our sin slowly dying, that coal in our hearts and in our lives and our houses slowly growing dimmer and dimmer. But that as it cools, that we would not forget it, that it should flare back up again. May we daily put to death our own sin. And may we daily pursue the things that you have given us. Would you make us alive together with your son, Jesus? 
And Lord, may we not be slow to call upon you. May we not try to do these things by our own strength. But that we would daily recognize our own inability and that we would call upon the one who has all power, all strength, all righteousness, all holiness, and the ability to work that in our own hearts. So Lord, convict us of sin where it is necessary. Help us see it with clear eyes. Help us to call it Help us to call it what it is in our own hearts and our own lives. Help us to mortify it, put it to death, and to live in light of the great promises that you've given us. May we remember that we do so not alone, that we do so with your help, in your presence, and surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who is able to help us and encourage us and work with and in us. And Lord, may your Son come again soon that we might know the fullness of what you have done. The things that we have only tasted, may we know and see in their fullness at the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ. May we look forward to that day and may we see it one day soon. Praise things in Jesus' name.